Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They did it! They made the final four! I don't know if we should play anything but this on loop, so enjoy it. One more. Look at those Kansas Jayhawks. Marching on to New Orleans for the Final Four. How's about that, guys? An Elite Eight game with little stress down the stretch. But there was still plenty of stress. It was partly still a Kansas Elite Eight game until it really, really wasn't. What a dominant second half. We will definitely get into it. But Kansas is indeed going to the Final Four. The second Final Four in ITP history. And guess who they're playing? The same team they played in the first Final Four in ITP history. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's true you guys only know kansas villanova final four matchups that's all you've ever been a part of right um, are they are they the two seed ryan uh, oh no they couldn't possibly oh, no. be the two seed stay tuned for the preview whenever we reveal what seed the jayhawks will have to play as their two seed in the final four but yeah, how about that? Like, really, they they go out and they win an Elite Eight game that leaves us smiling for the most part, as you said, Landon, it was stressful at the top, but going to the Final Four, not just as, and I think this is the difference, because in 2018, we were really happy they beat Duke, but we knew who was waiting for them in the Final Four. A Villanova team that was by and large considered the best team in the country. They had five eventual NBA players on that team. And we kind of knew that it'd be an uphill battle, as optimistic as we were. Little different this time. Kansas goes to New Orleans as the only one seed left. They are the Vegas favorite to win the NCAA tournament. They are the 538, and most data projection sites have them as the favorite to win the NCAA tournament. So, uh, yeah, and and yet, despite that, you would never even know they're there because the only thing that we're talking about is... uh, a certain coach who may be on his last couple games in college basketball that's going to play another team that you may have heard of. So we'll, we'll talk all about that because it was a good week of college basketball and it was a good time to be a Kansas Jayhawks fan. This is the Inside the Paint podcast through Rock Chalk blog and I am Ryan Landreth. I am Landon Fields. And I'm Nick Whitebert. I hope to hell they win this title because I might need a permanent vacation from Twitter and from the podcast and from all of that stuff. Because now that Rock Chalk Blog's following has reached a point where it's near 15,000 followers, it's it's exhausting because I feel like I am in a, in a failing marriage where everything I say, I know that the other person is going to have a problem with and is going to talk back and be like, well, actually, every time. So what I'm going to ask for, for everybody listening... Whether the, and I know we have some great listeners out there like Dick underscore Taser, who we've won over and has been patient with us over the course of the season, at least as much as we can. Uh, And then we got, we got guys like uh, Evan Phillips who listened to us despite 
uh, differing opinions. And then we got guys like at KU Tweets and News, who's been a, a pretty loyal defender of Rock Chalk Blog. So everybody, thank you for all of your dedication to this show. And let's have some fun talking about what was a great day and what should be a really fun week. Let's talk about the Elite Eight. See, normally on the show, whenever I say, let's talk about the Elite Eight, this follows that up. But not today and not Sunday. Number one, Kansas, 76. Number 10, Miami, 50. A blowout in the Elite Eight, sending the Jayhawks to their 16th ever Final Four. How's about it? Tell me about it. Yeah, like I said, uh, the first half did not come without its normal Elite Eight uh, Kansas trappings. They did not play well in that first half, scoring just 29 points and trailing by six at halftime. Guys, you're going to be stunned when I tell you that the opposing team made a really nice run at the end of the half to (laughs) secure a multiple possession lead. Uh, And that's never happened to Kansas. I don't know what happened there. But the second half was the most dominant NCAA tournament showing by Kansas since the first 15 minutes of the North Carolina Final Four game back in 2008. Uh, you know, the final four that Kansas ended up winning. Foreshadowing, perhaps? I hope yep. so. Brandon Rush Brandon Rush had 12 points, and the entire UNC team had 12 points. Kansas yep. had 45. 45. <laughs> In this half, Kansas scored 47 to Miami's 15 over the last 20 minutes of the game to end up steamrolling the Hurricanes, ending Charlie Moore's college career, probably, uh, and advancing to the final four. What a half. They switched the momentum so quickly on both ends of the floor. Uh, The defensive intensity picked up a lot, and the shots started to fall. Kansas wins off an incredible second half. 47-15 is what you expect when you bring Emporia State into Allen Fieldhouse for an exhibition game in the last week of October, let alone I mean, in It was 47-19 against Texas Southern in the first half. Right, yeah. It was it was insane. Everything went right. And maybe, just maybe, you know, it's kind of like in baseball when a guy hits 200 for two months and then he has a week where he hits, like, 20 for 28. Like, it all comes at once. This was all of the Bill Self negative voodoo juju in the uh in the elite eight all those years that you the dylan brooks and tyler dorsey shots the ryan archie diacono shots the vcu brigade all of that kind of all of a sudden evening out quickly on the teeter-totter and bill self having 20 outstanding minutes nick that had to be both awesome and a little unfamiliar to watch kansas turn what was a game that Per 538, they had a 47% chance of winning at halftime, a less than 50% chance of winning, and turned it into a complete boat racing in a matter of minutes. Had to be pretty darn fun. Yeah, the the situation where it would have to come to that, Miami was missing literally every single one of their three-pointers, which, correct me if I'm wrong, when was the last time a a team missed that many three-pointers against Kansas in the Elite Eight? Uh, It's been a while. Never Um, o'clock. Every like you said, everything went wrong for Miami. Six for twenty-eight from the floor, twenty-one percent in the second half. Had eight turnovers to six baskets. Uh, Kansas, meanwhile, was sixteen for twenty-seven, fifty-nine percent, five for nine from three. Missed all five of their attempts in the opening half. Um, after missing those, I I mean I'm not sure that I've ever seen a, a more orgasmic half from Kansas. Great word for it. We need, we need, <laughs> I almost said we need an orgasmic drop, but I do not want to look up what that's going to take no. and put it on the soundboard. No, no. Bad this, Google. Well, we'll just, we'll just do the, uh, the, the hooray drop. How about this? There we go. That does the trick without getting me into the trouble. 
but yeah, it was it was a beautiful sight to behold. And you could just see the pressure being lifted off Bill Self's shoulders. You know, this has been a tough year for him. We have always been more tough on Bill Self than a lot of KU fans. I said this after the K-State game, but we like Bill Self. We root for Bill Self. We think Bill Self is a great coach and a good man. And it is really good for him after he hasn't had the most success in this round. Some, some things are his fault and other things are more bad luck. That's March. But after the year he's had losing his dad and uh, the way that this team has has come together to really become one of the best teams in, in his entire two-decade run at Kansas, something we did not expect to be saying a couple of weeks ago. We were hoping that they would they would get back on their feet after a rough couple of weeks at the end of conference play and, and make a nice run. But to, to boat race an Elite Eight game and move into the Final Four as the favorite to win it, that is a pretty nice change of events after the way things were just, just a few weeks ago. Those second half numbers, Landon, just ridiculous. As Nick said, Miami made six shots. I mean, and they panicked. It started, Kansas tied it. They were down six at half. They tied it very quickly, and they went up 43-40 to 40 when Christian Brown hit a three. And that was the moment when you're like, oh, this may be happening. I'm not sure Miami ran a set after that. Just a total panic from the Hurricanes as uh, the definition of a snowball that took place in that second half. Yeah, yeah, especially that three, really that three-pointer through the Dave and one was really when mm-hmm. Kansas established themselves in control, fully grabbed the momentum, and yeah, it was about at that point where Miami, they didn't really know what to do. Like, the momentum had completely shifted from the end of the first half where Miami had all the momentum. Kansas had taken it back immediately. And then, yeah, like, their offense just became, well, I guess if you're open, take it. And if you're not open, probably take that too. Uh, because they, yeah, like you said, they, it felt like they didn't really run many sets. Uh, it felt like they didn't really have much of a plan other than just try to get a shot. And that's not a great offense to run. Um, I do think it has a little bit to do with, you know, uh, they were talking about it on the broadcast after the game. It felt like they were really feeling the finality of losing, um, you know, your season being over. Uh, and that's a lot different than, you know, losing a random game to Wake Forest in the middle of the season uh, when you, you know, lose in the Elite Eight. So I definitely think that played into it, the absolute domination of the half and, and Miami's, you know, crumbling. But yeah, a dominant half from Kansas, the defense especially, has played really, really well in the last two games, and that is extremely encouraging, especially considering uh, what the defense or what the opponent likes to do uh, coming up in the Final Four as well. They like to play uh, ground-and-pound type of outings. Yeah, the defense is all the way into the top 20. There are 17 in Ken Palm, which is incredibly the highest of the four teams left. Kansas has gone from people thinking that their defense was going to be what ended their season into having the strongest defense left, and it was just outstanding. Defense is a little bit. Now, I'm not going to say it's all luck, uh, because it's obviously a lot of rotation, a lot of skill, a lot of that stuff. But good defense also gets a little bit of fortune by looking a lot better than maybe it is when the opponent's missing shots. Kansas had all of that going for it. Dewan Harris smothered Cameron McGusty. The defense locked down the Miami's uh, Sam Wardenberg, who made him completely neutralized. And then Miami just missed a lot of shots. It was a great, everything went right for Kansas. But that first half, man, did that feel familiar where you had the, 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 the Jayhawks not being able to make a free throw. They were four for their first 11. That felt 
very familiar with tournament losses we've all experienced. The threes, 0 for 5, seen that. The three-point shooting just disappear. The other team takes a tie game and turns it into a six-point halftime lead in the final couple minutes. KJ Adams getting that stop was nice. That's what made me go into the locker room thinking, okay, that could have been eight or nine, and that would have really been demoralizing had they kept that run. Instead, you get a stop and you go into the locker room feeling like we're only down two scores. Uh, but yeah, that first half felt very familiar. That was that was not quite Oregon stretching a three-point game into a 14-point game in the final 90 seconds, but that felt like, oh, here we go again. If you guys don't have anything else to add on about the way that first half sucked, then we can go ahead and talk about Ochai Abaji. Uh, but, but ultimately, any other thoughts from you about the way the game went? Are we ready to get into the players? Now let's get into it. Go for it, Nick. Yeah, let's let's start off with uh, the guy who's returning to form, um, a guy we've said kind of disappeared for a few weeks, and maybe he's gonna emerge in the the final week of the tournament. Certainly did against Miami. That's Ochai Abaji scored a quiet but efficient 18 points on 18 for 12, eight for 12 from the floor. 18 for 12 would be astronomical. Uh, That's actually what uh, Dylan Brooks and Tyler Dorsey made in the Oregon game. That's what their shooting percentage. <laughs> the uh, last Villanova final four matchup. Right, uh, yeah. Abaji <laughs> yeah. also made yeah. six for ten on his twos, had five rebounds, four assists, four steals. Um, how badly needed was that performance? Uh, Ryan, do we have confidence that he'll be able to continue to play well? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that, you know, you're at the point in the season where sample sizes are kind of dead. You got at most two games left, and you don't really care if he's playing well or if he's not because you just need two more games like this, and no one's going to care about that slump. No one's ever going to think about Ochai Abazi shooting 27 or 30 or whatever it is now percentage in March if he can just have two solid games the rest of the way. I don't think Kansas needs an A game to beat Villanova. I think Kansas needs a B game on offense to beat Villanova. Against that defense, I think it's going to be enough. And if Ochai Abaji can give you 18 points, I don't care how many shots it takes to get it done, that'll work. Because the Villanova game is probably going to be, if Kansas can score 70 against Villanova, they have a great chance to win. So if you can get, you know, 30% of that right out of the shoot from Abaji, getting about 20, then man, that changes. That would that would be a big first step. 8 for 12 was great. They did run some stuff for him early in the game. He made a couple of shots early. was 3 for 5 in the opening half. The issue has been that he's not making shots. In this game, it wasn't that. It was that he wasn't looking for shots. He really wasn't taking that many, but we saw that get going in the second half. He had some lob dunks, made the two threes, including the one in the corner when the snowballing was continuing to climax. And uh, overall, his best game of the tournament, not just this year, but it is in his college career, Landon cannot be a coincidence that Kansas plays its best tournament game on the day that their best player plays his best tournament game. Yeah, really nice to see Abaji um, bring back some scoring, bring back efficiency. And they did it the way we were talking about on the last show, the way we wanted to see them try. Get him going to the basket, uh, go get some layups, get some easier shots at the rim. And then uh, he only took two threes. One was kind of in a meaningful spot when Kansas was really pulling away. The other was late and was kind of the exclamation mark on the win. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it was really nice to see Abaji uh, get back to scoring and scoring efficiently. Are you confident that that we're going to be okay with him against Villanova? I don't think another Providence game is coming. And if it is, I have the confidence that he's going to be able to get fouled enough to get to the line in a lowish scoring game to make plays. And Duke should be a pretty fast matchup if they play them, either Duke or North Carolina. I would think the athleticism on the court will mean that that's a high enough pace game where he's going to fit right in. 
Yeah, I think going forward, maybe much like Kansas in the Big 12 tournament, Ochai maybe, uh, you know, gets gets going again right at the right time. Uh, hopefully that ends up being the case. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit worried because the remaining teams all have the athletes uh, to potentially guard Abaji to take him out a little bit. But at the same time, he's been an amazing player all season. He's he's progressed his entire college career. I, I do think he's going to have enough of that tank to put in at least, hopefully, two more games um, that uh, he can he can be back to his normal scoring ways. Well, I played this drop three times in the opener. Here's one more for four Final Fours. That is four times that Kansas has made the Final Four under Bill Self. Four times now in the last 13 tournaments, which... <laughs> That's pretty good for all people talk about how it's never enough. That's a you go to the they're going to the final four one once every three years basically in the last decade and a half. And hell, who knows about 2020 if that happens and they go there, then we're talking about how Bill has made three of the last final fours in a in normal tournament settings. So he's he's quietly evening that out a little bit. The once terrible two and five record in the Elite Eight is now four and five. Bill started his career with two uh, Elite Eight losses before he got to Kansas. Then he lost his first two at Kansas. So he's gone from 0-4 to 4-9 himself. So he is he is slowly but surely starting to round back into form. 3-5 uh, and five isn't great. Or excuse me, 4-5 and five isn't great. But it's a hell of a lot better than 2-5. and five. Is that some of that positive regression that we were hoping was going to happen for him? Just one win away now from being back to 500. Yeah, I think so, especially considering how tough Elite Eight games are. Having that one win or loss on either side of, you know, the ninth game there. I think it makes a lot of sense. 4-5, and five, like you said, it is much better than 2-5. and five. It's a lot better than 3-6, and six too. Uh, so, yeah, I think that is a big win for Bill. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit of positive regression. Nick, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think that that this he's been due um, to have maybe a stretch where that luck kind of flips on its head because it's like all the other great coaches they have stretches of bad luck in the uh, NCAA tournament and then they kind of turn it around and have a little run like Jay Wright's having in the past five or so years. So um, definitely think that Bill Self uh, with the talent, especially on his all of his teams, I think this was due to happen eventually. And let's be honest with Bill Self's elite eight record. He's four and five. He's been favored in eight of those games. Uh, he wasn't favored the first year they lost to Georgia Tech. That was a better team. Let's take that one out of the equation. Self now 4-4 four and four in the Elite Eights when he's favored. They may not have been favored in the 07 game against UCLA. That was a 1v2 game where UCLA was at home. So we'll take that one out because those are the two earliest. Self is 4-3 and three in Elite Eight games in the last 15 years. Like, whenever you add that up, he's got a winning Elite Eight record in the last 15 years of NCAA tournaments in this round. And obviously the Oregon and the Villanova games hurt like hell and VCU. But whenever the losses all suck, all one seeds, all tournaments that Kansas would have been a, a great chance to cut down the nets. But when you start looking at the wins, you won it against North Carolina when you were a two and they were the one. You, you kind of stole one there. They beat Duke. I guess they were an underdog against Duke in 18 and won just a thriller. You blow out Miami and finally get that decisive one. And the Davidson one, they survive. I mean, the Elite Eight record was ugly for a while. Now, we, we knew this is what positive regression can do in the tournament. You've gone from, oh my gosh, he's 2-5 and five at Kansas and 2-7 and seven overall to, oh, he has a winning record in his last 15 years of Elite Eight games. Heck of a swing for old Bill. Uh, Landon, why don't you tell me about the second half facts that I can't get enough of? I, I don't know 
I think that was pretty historic, but I cannot find the stats that would show just how historic it was. Yeah, that was the uh, second, the biggest second half positive scoring margin in KU tournament history. Villanova was plus 30 in the second half versus Oklahoma in the 2016 Final Four. Uh, Kansas was plus 29 in the first half versus Marquette back in 2003. Uh, and then Ryan says that he cannot find a single NCAA tournament game in the Elite Eight or later where somebody was plus 32 in a single half. Uh, so that is very, very impressive. Yes, it's a 10 seed. It's a 10 seed, though, that beat number two Auburn, uh, that had beat Duke earlier in the season. So a team that definitely could hang with some very, very good teams. Uh, and Kansas absolutely thrashed them in the second half. And I don't know if there's... I, I'm sure there has been because they've been doing this a long time and the people that played in Final Four games back in the 30s and 40s uh, were not able to dunk basketballs like the modern-day Pilo Banqueros and Ochai Abajis. But I want to know the last time that somebody scored 15 points in the Elite Eight or later in the NCAA tournament in a half. That's unbelievable. Like, the, that, that's a combination of good defense, but it doesn't matter what the defense is. There's You should be able to score... 16 and a half against the freaking 90s bulls out there so everything just went wrong for miami but after i've seen everything go wrong for kansas in this round i don't feel a lot of sympathy all right nick let's talk about david mccormick because a, a enigma of a player has really put kansas on his back at times in his career and uh boy they needed it to get the run going in this game yeah no david turn into yes david uh, especially on that hook shot he had in the second half was about 10 feet away from the basket. I was yelling, no, David, at the, when he was going up on my, against my television same. screen. 100%. And when it went down, I was like, yes, David. I couldn't David. believe it went down. That's when you knew it was their day. Um, he was the one who started the Jayhawk run, had 15 points, six for not, six for seven from the floor. I can't read numbers today. He only had four rebounds, but KU was plus 13 in the game. Did not matter. They opened the second half hellbent on feeding Dave, and he made a couple of huge plays early on to get things going for KU. Big factor in this one. He's going to need to be a big factor against uh, the bigs of Villanova if they want to get to the championship as well. Yeah, that was like Landon and I in particular, but all three of us have been critical of Bill Self overfeeding the post sometimes. It felt like they were doing that too much in the first half. It felt like they should have done that more against Creighton, and they didn't. It felt like they should have done that less against Providence. But they came out of the second half, and it was very clear that the message, with probably some F-words mixed in there, was feed the ball to David. We're going to attack them. We're going to get Wardenberg in foul trouble, even though he wasn't really the one guarding Dave a lot of the time, but put pressure on him to go down there and help. Opened up the three-point line more. They were going to get David going, and... Landon, we always give Bill hell for not or for feeding the big too much sometimes, but it was 100% the right strategy here, and boy, did that get things going against a uh, team that was looking to run with Kansas, and now I bet they're wishing that they didn't. Yeah, Dave still did some no-Davey things, um, <laughs> but at the same time, he, he absolutely was very, very good in this game. And yeah, this was the one game where I was calling for more post-feeds for Dave, um, because they absolutely had the advantage down low, uh, and he was playing well. And when that happens, I'm even I, the, the man who says, take a lot of threes, take mostly threes, Dave doesn't look to kick, uh, and Dave needs to kick the ball more, uh, I, even I was calling for feeding the ball to the post, especially with McCormick. I mean, they were scared of Lightfoot. They like were holding, they held Lightfoot, like, what, three or four times? Yeah, they on rebound opportunities a couple times. Yeah, yeah, like they they weren't even able to really match up with Lightfoot very well. So when Dave's out there, you absolutely had to feed him, uh, and he he paid that off. I mean, six for seven is really good. Fifteen points in a lead eight game. That's never going to go 
um, unnoticed and unappreciated because yeah, he, he's been fantastic. And like we said, this Kansas team is going to go as far as McCormick takes them. He has a very high ceiling, and that showed up in this game. Yeah, and we talk about how Dave is either he gets hot and then he goes cold. It's it's We're no longer going to sit here and talk about, because there's not enough games left in his career, we're no longer going to sit here and talk about, is this a strategy they should keep doing? It, they need they need two more games of above average to good Dave because whenever Dave plays well, they're darn near unstoppable. I don't think they've lost the game this year when Dave has played really, really well. Like, really good David equals win. So, I mean, th- at this point in the year... You just have to hope that that David is on for two games because if he's not, it's not like they're going to try something else. And if he is, then hooray, I guess. All right, guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most, how much were you convinced that those free throws were going to bite them squarely in the ass? Where does throw your remote into the TV fit in the scale? <laughs> they That's were all 11. short. They were all short. Everything was clung off the front iron. Awful. Just the game after they shot like 19 for 20 from the free throw line. One week later, to be specific. 13 for 26. Uh, They were 5 for 14 at one point, meaning they actually closed 8 for 12. But, woof, like that was, you survived that. And it didn't even freaking matter. You won by 26 on a night where you missed 13 free throws. Like, Wow, that's that's whenever you start to be convinced, like, hey, maybe this just is their day. Who knows? That was, but yes, on a scale of one to ten, I would be at a solid sixty-three. How much I thought I was gonna bite them in the ass, but you know, yeah. Okay, Landon, let's talk about a point guard. And for the first time in the last few shows, the first point guard worth mentioning is not Remy Martin. Dwan Harris was an enormous key to this game, uh, as Cameron McGusty, who just couldn't miss anything, uh, scored fourteen points in the first half on a lot of really well-guarded shots. Yeah. Uh, he was completely shut down when Harris switched on him after halftime. Uh, Harris' defense held McGusty to just three points in the second half, uh, and Harris added five points on two free shooting and four assists, three rebounds in his 26 minutes played. The two-headed point guard duo came through with a really good performance. Nick, what did you think of Dewan in this game? He did play a very significant role. He did play a very significant role. It's hard to slide him, especially... Um, you know, I've been a proponent of Remy Martin starting the first and the second half. He did not again this game. It was DeWan Harris. But I think that Kansas, the way they came out in the second half, um, DeWan Harris gets a pass for that. And I think that he played so well of a defensive uh, game on uh, McGusty uh, that negates any of the other problems that he has offensively. Still think that offensively for this team moving forward, uh, these next two games, hopefully two games, um, that DeWan Harris probably... Uh, at times shouldn't be in the game just because it's more of a 4v5 offensive battle if he's in there. Um, no slight to him, but, you know, defense, defense is definitely his his specialty. Yeah. And I guess he had four points, not three. That's my fault for Brennan Typo, and they're not like it really mattered in the second half. Harris was fantastic. And I got this one wrong. I posted on Twitter that Kansas really shouldn't, like, because the first half did not go great, obviously, and I, I kind of a little snarkily said, uh, pointed out KJ played well, Remy had some good moments, and uh, uh, they got some nice stuff out of uh, uh, Coleman Lands as well. He didn't shoot well, but I thought he got good looks. So naturally, you can expect Bill Self to open the second half with the same five starters. Like, that's how, and I think that's how a lot of people felt as well. And obviously, it worked like a gym in this game because the, that starting five set off that, that just chain reaction of explosions where the team just ran away and never looked back uh but but yeah i deserve to get some backlash from that that's why bill self coaches the team but uh i'm i'm at the same time i i while i love the job dewan harris did and i understand that 
when the team's won this much, I'm not in any hurry to, to tinker with things that, that are working well, too. Um, I think that Bill Self has proven that Remy Martin is going to be the point guard down the stretch in close games, and I think that's all you can ask. You got two games left. I don't think Villanova, this sounds hilarious to talk about with them, I don't think Villanova is going to hit you with an offensive barrage in the first 10 minutes that's going to bury you in a hole you can't get out of. <laughs> like, I think that's actually true this time. Um, so I guess I don't see it burning them there, but uh, the fear was, is Dewan Harris starting the game going to put you in an offensive hole to start that you can't get out of? It hasn't so far, so keep rolling with it till it does. I guess that's fine. Nick, you love talking about Remy Martin. Go ahead and tell me about how uh, a guy that everybody did not want here, at least a good chunk of the fan base, uh, just a few weeks ago, ended up being the MVP of the whole dang region. Yeah, it turns out we were right. Um, isn't that shocking, guys? Uh, Remy Martin, named most outstanding player of the region, scored nine points in 24 minutes on four for nine from the floor. At six rebounds, two assists, was his lowest scoring output of the tournament, but he was still really good. He, excuse me, scored 67 points in four NCAA tournament games. He is a stud. Uh, did that feel weird to have a legitimate, fun Elite Eight game? <laughs> I still don't. I I sat through it, and I I don't know how we did. Like that didn't happen, did it? Uh, what what was the what was the the most fun moment for you, Nick? What what, what was the moment where you just what was your biggest celebration? During this game, yeah, yeah, in this game specifically, um, I would probably say the first one was the th- Christian Brown three pointer when that went down. I knew the game was over, um, and then the, the icing on the cake was uh, Jalen Coleman lands hitting the three at the end of the game. Uh, that was mean. equally exciting. Uh, Dave's and one was pretty was pretty big. The crowd went nuts when he made that uh, shot. Oach, when Oach hit his three, uh, yeah. that r- was really capping that run. I jumped and did a spin in the air while doing uh, the three with your hand. When you got to sit down in the last Young five bang. minutes of the later game, you weren't. Yeah, that, like, was, that was actually really nice. <laughs> yeah, you weren't like squatting in front of the TV on your knees, praying that good things were going to happen. And uh, Remy, obviously, was so happy for him. Dude deserves to be a part of a winning program, and he's a big reason why this team's winning at the way they are. Um, we've now seen blowouts. We've seen nail biters where the defense played well and the offense sucked. We've seen, uh, close games down the stretch where you need to grind one out against a good opponent. Uh, and Remy's played 20 minutes in each of the last five games. He's played at least 19 minutes in the last six. He's matchup proof at this point. He may not start. He will finish whenever they're playing and then you need your point guard in the game at the end. It doesn't matter if it's an offensive 90 to 88 game or if it's a 55 to 53, whatever the hell the Providence score was, Remy's going to play. And so I'm okay with self switching him in and out because we know Remy's getting minutes. Also, Remy now 1,996 points. He is four away from reaching 2000 for his career, which isn't as hard to get to as it was a few years ago with the COVID extra rule and how you can transfer. But a lot of guys are piling up the points at smaller teams and then transferring to a big school for one year. Uh, that's how, uh, that's, I, I can't think of, I, I was looking at the list of 2000 point scores. Uh, there were a couple of guys that, that managed to do it that way, but like it's, it's going to be, it's going to be just fine. Remy's going to get his 2000 and uh, it's been a it's been a wild ride here down the stretch. We're happy to see him playing this well. Let's talk about some of the other guys here. Christian Brown had 12.6 rebounds and four assists in 35 minutes. He was four for nine from the floor. He hit the first three of the game for Kansas, which put an exclamation mark on that initial rally. And that was really the moment when you realize this team not only has the lead, they're not going to give it back. Uh, Brown's had a really good year, averaging almost 15 points a game, seven rebounds a game. Like, 
This is this is a quiet, unheralded superstar in the making. And I think that if he comes back next year, you're looking at a guy who's going to be the favorite to win all Big 12. Uh, or the I think he's the preseason player of the year in the league if he comes back. He just might be. And he might be challenged by another guy. Jalen Wilson, he had five points, 11 rebounds, three assists in 31 minutes. If he comes back, I think Wilson is probably the more likely to leave of the two. He was just one of eight from the floor in this game. Still the best rebounder, though. Uh, it is worth noting that Wilson is just 11 for 38 from the floor in the last three games, including one for 10 from three. Uh, do we have any concern there? Nick? Um, I wouldn't probably push the panic button yet. Ryan, what do you think? I'm a little nervous. That's 29% in three straight games. That's not great. It's not a great trend, but we kind of... the the underlying message on this show has been that there's not enough games left for us to be worried about what do we do if this happens in this game or whatever like this is it's <laughs> you're obviously it's winner go home at this point and you're down to the final four teams uh i have confidence that wilson will will get his kind of like Igbaji, the percentage may not be good but in a game wherever he made just one basket uh, he manages to still contribute 11 rebounds, pick up a handful of assists, play good defense. Uh, against Villanova, I think that it's more likely than not you're going to see another game for him where he struggles to shoot a high percentage, but pick, does the dirty work on the glass and maybe picks up a couple of assists to help him out a lot. Uh, he's he's an integral part of what this team wants to do. He's not going to make the numbers sexy, but boy, is he! you're, you're not winning without his work inside. Hmm. See, I, I I almost wanted to say something, but then the silence was so beautiful for me. The silence was for um, hopefully Gene Steratore's career uh, because <laughs> the refs are awful. Gene Steratore is awful, um, and there's 11 of them that are going to do something stupid during the Final Four, probably yeah. in the favor of Coach K. Um, one of the refs, actually, in the Final Four was the guy who threw Dan Hurley out, so hopefully he can do that to Coach K, too, for no reason. And that not even Doug Sermons. Doug Sermons isn't even the worst rep in the Final Four, which is At least nuts. John Higgins didn't make it. Yeah, well, whenever there's so many bad refs, you, you're bound to ha have a few that you don't like in there. Maybe the first Gene half just go and ref himself, so then he can. We can all make. We can have Ryan get be an analyst for Gene's territory and just complain about his calls on TV. That's that'd be. I would accept that position. Yeah, the refs are awful. Like they they didn't make a difference in this game, but that's only because Kansas didn't allow them to make a difference by winning by 26. Nobody knows what a charge is. The hook and hold on Mitch Lightfoot is terrible. By the way, I don't care if they got that right with the rule. That is a horrible, flagrant rule. Like, come on. Like, call it a foul. It's a foul. How is how is the the uh, Miami player? By And the rule is, because he hook and held Mitch, he didn't allow him to go get a rebound. Therefore, it's a flagrant. How is that any different than a defensive player fouling a guy hard to make sure he can't make a shot, which that's always called just a common foul. He gets two free throws. Why is Mitch Lightfoot being held a flagrant? Why does that make any sense? It's because Kevin Love dislocated his shoulder once on that call. And is that why? Is that down. what changed it? I feel like yes. Because, come on, like... And no one knows what it charges. We're, it's not like that's changing. Have fun with that the next few games. Villanova flops a lot, and we all know what Duke does. So that's going to be a fun next few weeks. Uh, I cannot even believe that we're saying this, guys. But for the second straight game, the... ...had minimal impact. In fact, Sam Wardenberg flat sucked. He only made one three, which you knew was going in, and he fouled out. It feels like that white guys have not been up to their normal tricks against Kansas thus far in the tournament. 
But with Colin Gillespie up next, it kind of feels like a final boss situation. Like, we'll see what happens before we get too confident with him waiting in the wings. Wardenberg didn't yeah, do much. Weird. It was really weird, and then he fouled out, and he was not very good. Yeah, it was very, very nice. That was still still a big foul out, though, because Miami, again, lost another dynamic in their offense. Even if he wasn't shooting the ball very well, uh, they, they no longer even had the option after that. In case there was any doubt whatsoever that the game was over, when Wardenberg fouled out with eight minutes left, that's when you knew, okay, now they're really cooked. Like, it's over. Yeah. Uh, Landon, tell me about KU's white guy of the game. Mitch Lightfoot. For had reals. nine points, three rebounds in 17 minutes, three for four from the floor, uh, including, again, drawing a, a decent amount of those hold calls as well. He's been so much better in the second half this season after year six, and he's finally uh, he's finally become a legitimate contributor on this team, which, you know, Ryan thought would t- happen a long time ago. Uh, Ryan thought he'd be playing NBA basketball by this point. Yeah, I thought um, he'd be a lottery pick, like, after his sophomore year. Oops. <laughs> uh, also, KJ Adams only played two minutes, but his defense on the final Miami possession was huge for the first half, getting that block that Ryan was talking about earlier. So, uh, minimal but impactful minutes for KJ. But, yeah, like, hey, guys, uh, a secondary big playing well for Kansas. How about it? I'm looking at Mitch Lightfoot stats in the month of, or since January 1st, and they're not going to blow you away. Um, I mean, he's averaging five points, three rebounds, and a block per game, but that's in uh, that's in just 12 minutes. Like, that's really good. I mean, five points and three rebounds in 12 minutes in minimal relief, that'll work. If you have to extrapolate that into per 40, I mean, that's darn near, tw- that's about 18 points per 40. Uh, he's been efficient, I think is the word we're looking for, because he shot 72% from the floor in 27 games since January 1st. And that's what they're looking for. Just about every time he shoots the ball, it goes in. Free throws are a problem, which we saw in this game. Uh, but Mitch Lightfoot has turned into a perfect second big for Kansas to have off the bench. He comes in, he'll, he usually very efficient when he shoots the ball, and he doesn't shoot it very much. Uh, and he knows where he's supposed to be. He doesn't mess things up. He's become a light version of Landon Lucas, both because he's white and because he's less good than Landon Lucas. Uh, so it's great to see because he's another guy that that everybody should be very happy to, to see uh, him have some success. I thought he was a disaster for most of his career. He's not Elijah Wan, but he is a solid bench piece for this team as they move into the last two games. And I predict that he has a pretty good showing against Villanova for Mitch Lightfoot standards. I think that uh, I think that this is a game that it's a, it's a it's a Mitch sort of matchup when David's not playing well. I think Mitch is the type of guy you can go in there. I expect you're going to see him draw a charge or two by by being willing to take an elbow right into the ribs and fall down. I bet you he makes a couple shots and he's got the experience that I think you want him on the floor for 10 or 15 minutes against Villanova. God, that's weird to say. Nick, tell me about KJ Landon read his stats, but how big was that last possession? when he completely eliminated any hope Miami had of adding on to their lead. Yeah, that was a, a huge defensive stand. Uh, fortunately, Bill Self was going to play him a lot, um, so that defense will continue. Right, not yeah, I'm sure. No, he might not play for the rest of the season, but if that was the last significant play he made for the Jayhawks this year, which hopefully it's like a, an alley-oop dunk when they're up 40 in the national championship game and Self has emptied the bench in the final minutes, but uh, KJ, I hope he sticks around. I think he would start for all but like 10 teams in college basketball this year. He's going to have a really good college career. So let's hope that he sticks around. Nick, you want to clean up the uh, remaining, I guess there's only a couple guys we haven't talked about, which uh, most of them are uh, end of bench guys. 
Yeah, Jalen Coleman lands one for five from the floor. Like I said, hit a really nice mean three at the very end of the game to put Kansas up by 26. Uh, uh, yesterday, uh, Joe Yesu, Zach Clemens, Chris Tehan all got in the game in the final two minutes. Um, overall, KU shot 50% from the floor, 36 from three, uh, 50% from the free throw line, awful, and plus 13 on the glass. Looking at this game, you look at 50% from the floor, 36% from three, and 50% at the line. If you had showed me that at the beginning of the game, I would have said that feels like a single-digit victory. That feels like a six- or seven-point victory that should have been more because they missed a ton of free throws. Or I would have told you that they boat raced them and they went like two or four at the line. And it was neither of those things. Coleman Lands just isn't going to play, which hope to hell that the, the everybody else is giving you enough. Landon, I know we want Jalen Coleman Lance to play more, but Remy Martin being a scorer off the bench and getting, you know, averaging, what, 15 minutes or 15 points a game in the tournament, that's at least helped soften the blow of Coleman Lance not playing. It definitely does with Remy being effective. Uh, I at least like they, again, they, they will throw Coleman Lance out there and see if he hits anything. Uh, and unfortunately, he did not in this game early. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you're right. I think with Remy uh, being more effective, especially if Oach can get back to shooting the ball well. Uh, then yeah, it will definitely lessen the blow, uh, lessen the hurt of, of Coleman Lands not getting many minutes. Which Self did play him a lot more in the first half than I expected because he had both David and Mitch on the bench and tried Christian Brown at the five, which <laughs> now we now that they won by 26, we can laugh at that lineup because that was bad. I can't laugh at it too hard because those are the type of lineups I've preached about wanting to see more. And Miami is the sort of team that you would think it would work decently against without having a traditional five that's just going to stand under the basket and try to go right up for, for easy baskets. And uh, no, that lineup didn't work in the slightest. Uh, I'd like to see Coleman Lance play more, but none of the teams still playing have really deep benches. Duke plays seven guys. Villanova played seven guys, and one of them just got hurt. They're going to probably play six going forth. Uh, so I, I really don't know. You know, you have your starting five, and Lightfoot and Remy are going to play off the bench. You're maybe getting a little Coleman Lance and maybe a little bit of KJ if enough foul trouble happens where you need defense at the end of a half. But that's it. You're, that's that's your rotation. And, uh, I mean, it's got them two wins away from a national championship. So, I guess for now, we are okay with it. What are your closing thoughts on a Jayhawk Elite Eight victory? A fun and exciting, both because of how fun it was and because of how bright the next couple of weeks have potential to be for Kansas. Overall, just a really exciting victory. A-plus from all of us, right? Yeah, definitely so. It was a blast to watch that second half. Uh, very excited, very happy, uh, glad to be wrong about uh, uh, some of the things that I've said about Kansas. If you listen back to the TCU show after they lost, uh, glad glad to be wrong. Uh, never been more happy to be wrong, uh, and hopefully the season is not done yet. I have one question before we fade out, because Christian Brown had uh, tweeted out that, it, you know, I know exactly what he was alluding to. He tweeted out after they got back to Lawrence yesterday, not or something like uh, we got a lot of trophies or not too bad for a team that needed to get more athletic obviously referring to what Bill Self said word for word the night they lost to USC when he said we need to get more athletic this team really isn't much more athletic Remy's a stick of dynamite off the bench so I guess that's a big piece that is does bring that athleticism but other than that this team has basically the same pieces and they're so much better why how is this team so much better than last year despite not being a big athletic upgrade? Marcus Garrett isn't on the team anymore. That should not be uh, Remy Martin's on the team now. Is that it? They switched out Marcus Garrett for Remy Martin and boom goes the dynamite? Uh, well, Ocha is an athletic player that's also been quite a bit better this season. And Brown was last year. That maybe helps. not as much, but... 
everyone, mostly everyone's taken a step up, and then they got rid of the most annoying player in the history, of Kansas, Marcus Garrett, the most <laughs> overrated, shall I say? Easily uh, and, the biggest upgrade, the biggest difference. I know Ochai. I know Ochai's gone from a, a fourteen points a game guy into an All American. But I honestly think that Jalen Wilson has an argument as the most improved player on the team this year. Really? Hit, yes, he has gotten. You look at he's done so much more with less this year. Uh, he's become so, it's the little things with Wilson. He's become a better. The the percentage hasn't been good the last few games, but more efficient shooter. Such a good free throw shooter. The rebounding has become so consistent. Jalen Wilson is the glue that has held this team together when David McCormick didn't play very well. He held those cracks from and prevented them from just opening up and Kansas getting having a rebounding problem or having a front court problem. I think that's been pivotal. And Remy has been the missing link. They looked a lot like last year's team in that TCU Fort Worth loss when they were playing the same six guys. Everybody was a little bit better, and the Big 12 was better, so maybe it canceled out. Then you th- they also had some some good luck in really close games, too. That helped. They could be like 11-7 and seven in Big 12 games if they weren't so lucky. But right now, Remy Martin's the difference. Like, is that fair? Remy is the difference that last year's team didn't have. Remy, and I think factoring in everyone taking a bit of a step up from last season. Except for Dave, and they're still just fine with that. Like, mm-hmm. they're... And they've gotten some breaks. They got a nice path that props to them. They grabbed by the neck and took advantage. They went all the way to the Final Four with an open path. We've seen them have open brackets and not do that in the past. And hopefully now, just two wins away from the school's sixth national championship. I mean, fourth, but we're like, they're going to hang yeah, a sixth fourth. banner. It's, but it's fourth. Two wins away from winning another national championship and being forever immortalized as the best, one of the best teams in the history of the sport. Uh, it's it's pretty awesome to see how far they've come. Hopefully, they can finish the job. Other games, and there are not many other games because the season's almost over. So let's start with this. Ahem. Tanner Groves announces that he will come back to Oklahoma for one more year. No, what else did you think God. was going to happen? I thought. No, God, please. How no, does he still no. have years left? No. COVID no. year. I thought this was his COVID year. Was he a junior? He must. Have, he had to be a junior at Eastern Washington then. Yeah, I guess. I I guess. I so so tired of the Groves, bro. What? Whatever. Other games. Let's recap the Elite Eight, beginning with number two Villanova fifty, number five Houston forty four. Was that the worst Elite Eight game ever? It was the most boring. Man, so that was the St. Peter's one. Houston wow, shot 30% and an absolutely unbelievable hair on fire, scream worthy 5% on threes. <laughs> That's one for 20. And this is the part where Landon normally says, just launch half court shots at that point. Except they actually still scored 44 points, which is bad. That is really bad, but it is, it's not quite to launch half court shots territory. You one for 20 pl- is. Houston could play 300 basketball games in a row, and they would not shoot one for 20 on threes again. No. But, of course, it happened against Villanova. Right, yeah, that's the problem. Nova didn't play that well either. Nova actually was worse from the floor, 29%. Just 24% on threes. That should leave you confident. 
uh, going into this game. But Villanova does what Villanova does. They ba they barely ever fouled. They were 15 for 15. That is 100% at the free throw line, or 95% better than Arkansas or than uh, Houston shot on three pointers. Uh, they they were just they're just so smart. Only 10 turnovers in the whole game. They're well coached, even though Landon, this is a uh, they they had a pretty big loss right at the very end of this game. Yeah, Justin Moore uh, tears. What was the official injury reading? Was it a calf injury it's that an was Achilles officially designated as? Tear. It's an Achilles uh, tear. Officially Achilles. Um, yeah, Nick was saying it was Kevin Durant esque. Uh, the look of it, I missed it live. Uh, but yeah, Justin Moore goes down. Yet another injury for uh, the Wildcats. They lost uh, uh, Cosby Roundtree earlier in the year, though he was not playing a ton, but still a guy in their rotation. Uh, Brian Antoine went down, although he is coming back to play very limited minutes in the last few games. And then, of course, now Justin Moore out as well. So the Wildcats are very thin. I do wonder, does that mean Brian Antoine gets thrown back in the lineup a little bit more? Or or do they play Archidiacono 25 minutes? Uh, very curious to see what the Wildcat lineup will look like, but uh, they get away with the win despite the injuries. And more in this game, I believe, Nick, we both saw, I think it was whenever he was trying to avoid not getting fouled, like in the final minute, and his his leg just gave out. Yeah, you could just see the calf pop, which is pretty typical. He looks back at his uh, leg, thought someone kicked him. That's usually the sensation people with torn Achilles feel. Uh, I yeah. can't imagine. Uh, it was really sad to see him sit on the bench and cry after Oh, it was awful. Couldn't uh, even region, stand up. So. Couldn't stand up to go uh, with it. And obviously his teammates rallied around him. And He did and, walk out of the arena, to be yeah. fair. But you can walk on an Achilles tear. Yeah, not you're not playing basketball on it, at least not for a while. And Moore is a huge part of what they do. 15 points and five rebounds. He's the second leading scorer on the team. He was really the guy who played the two in their offense. 6'4", uh, shot 36% on threes, but he took uh, he took six a game. So he was a high-volume three-point shooter, 6'4", um, 210. Villanova's a pretty big backcourt and not a very big frontcourt, and now they're, they're going to be even smaller as a team. Uh, but in this game, he played 37 minutes and 39 in the Michigan game. So they're losing a guy who they're losing 20% of their minutes right there. Um, Jay Wright is for for my money the best coach in college basketball year in and year out. Right, I think he and Bill Self are one and two, uh, and and he's done great work getting this team to a Final Four. Uh, but at the same time, now you know you got to think they're really in for an uphill battle. I expect them to play well against Kansas. I've always been on the belief that well-coached, talented teams in all sports in their first game without a star player usually have enough, whether it's the good coaching, preparation, players rallying around said player, to play pretty well in the first game. You can't sustain it and play well for two straight months after you lose your best player. But for anyone wanting an example of what I'm talking about, think of the Chiefs-Packers 2019 game after Mahomes got hurt in Denver. They started Matt Moore on Sunday Night Football against the Packers, and everybody was like, oh, this is going to be ugly. And Andy Reid schemed up a hell of a game, and they were in that game until the closing minutes, played really well for, for everything they could do with Matt Moore at quarterback. I think you're going to see a good effort from Villanova on Saturday, but that just may be too big of a loss to overcome. Uh, we'll talk about Villanova a lot more later. Houston, we made fun of their Mickey Mouse title path last year. They made a Final Four without playing a, a single-digit seed. Did they? And they had to have impressed you more this year, right? Like they did some good things. Yeah, they finished the season really well. Like they beat the one seed in Arizona. Uh, they obviously destroyed Illinois, so they did get two wins over top or two top four seeds. 
Houston, with as many wins this year against four seeds or better than Gonzaga has since 2001. So in one year, they quickly proved that they were less fraudy than Gonzaga. Uh, and ultimately, they win this game, what, 70% of the time? Just pick the worst day to have maybe the worst shooting day in school history, all things considered. Uh, excited to see them join the Big 12 because they look like an animal. Uh, Villanova or Houston, who did you want to see win this game to play Kansas? Uh, that's an interesting one, uh, because I never want to see Villanova, though I also didn't want any part of Houston playing really well. Uh, it, very much a game that feels like I would just take whoever wins, although I definitely was rooting for Houston just out of Villanova hate. Nick, you wanted to see them play Villanova, so you had the opposite opinion. Yes. Why is that? Yeah, uh, particularly because they weren't playing well against Gonzaga, or, uh, Villanova, shooting the ball well at all. I knew that that wasn't going to be sustainable. They were going to have a better three-point night if they played Kansas in the Final Four. Um, definitely a very dangerous offensive team and a team that typically takes Kansas out of the tournament. Um, this Villanova team uh, plays slow. They don't score a lot. We'll talk about them in a second. But uh, for those reasons, um, I, I think Villanova was the better matchup for them. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Yeah. We're just going to go ahead here at this moment in the show and go ahead and get out this drop where we're all pretty okay with the Villanova matchup. I said earlier... Ryan, is Villanova two seed? Uh, uh, you'll have to wait till the preview to find out who the two seed is, sir. I'm saving that in suspense because nobody on this uh, nobody on this TV show is... Our TV show, geez. Nobody on this... <laughs> maybe next year. Nobody on this podcast has ever been wrong about a Villanova take. But yes, it is the Wildcats and Jayhawks meeting in the uh, NCAA tournament second weekend or later uh, for the fourth time in the last 13 tournaments. And obviously... These teams have a history where whoever beats the other usually goes on to bigger and better things. Weird. Other game on Saturday night. Number two, Duke, 78. Number four, Arkansas, 69. And that really isn't indicative of how this game was. Not a, not a nice 69, though. No, Duke led by 15 with four minutes left. They were in complete control of pretty much the last, like, 32-ish minutes they are going to the Final Four in Coach K's last season. You may have heard that Coach K is retiring at the end of this year. What do you guys think about the Blue Devils, who are all they're being talked about on ESPN? You got to think that's the toughest remaining challenger for Kansas out there, yeah? They're good. <laughs> they are good. They are good. It's a, it's a tough matchup. That is the biggest thing. I think they are the worst like matchup with their athleticism and speed. Uh, that, I think, would give Kansas a lot of problems. Uh, I'm never going to say that Villanova is not going to be a bad a bad team to, uh, for Kansas to play, though. In this game for Duke, they get 18 points from A.J. Griffin, who I think in the event that Kansas plays Duke, that's the guy I'm most scared of. He's their best three-point shooter, has been an incredible uh, sharpshooter for them this year. Despite being 6'6 and being a little bit bigger than your average college sharpshooter, he's shooting 46% on threes this year, and that's with uh, that's a that's a high volume, four per game, making almost half of his three-point shots. Uh, he has 18 and leads them in this game. 16 and 7 for Paolo Banquero, who I was more critical of in ACC play, but he has played like a monster in the NCAA tournament, looking like the bet if Duke goes all the way to win most outstanding player. But what's really been their key is their point guard. You, Whenever you have Jeremy Roach, who really hadn't played very well all year, but always had that potential, uh, he's played great in the last few weeks for the Blue Devils. They look like a legitimate top five team. How much of that has been a path where you didn't see him play Gonzaga and they got lucky maybe a little bit to escape Michigan State? And then again with Texas Tech, 
Are you are you all in on the Blue Devils? Is this a, is this is this a really good team? I mean, I think they still arguably had the most difficult road in the end. Nick, would you agree with that? One of the most difficult roads, yeah. I mean, at the same time, though, they didn't have to play the number one overall seed in the tournament, and the the decision to zone Texas Tech was great. But Michigan State had them. Michigan State had them on the ropes, and and couldn't obviously pull away. Whatever. So we're running out of teams to beat Coach K, guys. The one thing Gonzaga could have been good for in their lives is staying alive before their annual gag long enough to knock Coach K out of the tournament. Nope, they couldn't even do that. Arkansas, nothing really interesting here. J. Day Note shoots a lot of baskets, and not a lot of them have gone in recently. Um, and Eric Musselman is short, but I mean, back-to-back elite eights, that's, that's something, I guess. Yay. Uh, definitely can't relate at all to what it feels like to lose in back-to-back years in the elite eight, right? Anybody? Not me. Nope. Nope. At least they weren't a one seed both times. At least one of them wasn't to Villanova. (laughs) Who we will have a lot more in the Villanova tank. Uh, so that's the other matchup. Uh, does anybody know? I, I'm getting really frustrated. I'm on the ESPN page trying to find out who Duke plays in the Final Four. I can't find it. Does anybody know who the Blue Devils well, will match up with? I'm pretty sure Purdue didn't choke this year, right? I mean, that's that's a thing. That's, well, that's, Baylor uh, back-to-back. Yeah, it's got to be somebody. Oh, wait, no. I know because I live on this planet. Number eight, North Carolina, 69. Now, that's more of nice. Number 15, St. Peter's, eh. 49. Well, we knew eventually the Peacocks would uh, would do their 15-seed thing, and they did. That wasn't even close. Worst game by far of the week. Yeah, St. Peter's, uh, heck of a run. I mean, magical run. Uh, but yeah, we, we knew eventually that it was going to come up short. And I, I am, to an extent, as much as I did like the story and I enjoyed watching them play, I, I'm kind of glad they didn't have to play Coach K uh, because I didn't want Coach K to have that kind of a game in the Final Four, and yeah, uh, North Carolina. It will be North Carolina Duke, Ryan, just in case anyone on the earth that likes sports missed it. And even if you don't like sports, there's probably still a 25% chance you're going to know about this matchup uh, because ESPN will not let anyone not know. Uh, Yeah, it's North Carolina Duke, and uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Somehow they've never played in the NCAA tournament. Like, I know you've heard that stat 70,000 times, but that's unreal how much they've played. It's never happened in the NCAA tournament. And a hell of a story that proves that sports just may, in fact, be scripted if this is happening in Coach K's final year. Uh, Arma- I mean, the, the numbers for, for North Carolina, Armando Bacot had 20 points and 22 rebounds. Uh, Brady Manick, another 19. He, I'm sure he won Most Outstanding Player of the Region. If not, I don't know how he didn't. And 14 from Caleb Love. I guess if he did, that would be how. That would be the reason why. Uh, is North Carolina like we're not? We'll pick it officially later. But give me a little bit of a preview of North Carolina Duke. How do you see that game going? Nick, what do you think? Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I can't. I can only think of Brady Manek in Kansas and just envision him shooting 53s against Kansas and making 49 in the national championship. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which, uh, which hopefully that happens to the Blue Devils. The way North Carolina ha- has been able to shoot, the way Brady Manek played, um, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis have been very, very good. Armando Bacot. Uh, North Carolina, despite being an eight seed, is not that outmatched. I mean, we saw that in Cameron. Uh, they, they played really, really well in that game. They went and took that game away from Duke uh, in Cameron Indoor. Uh, then again, Duke has been the better team all season. Uh, you know, Paolo Bancaro, he is arguably the best NBA prospect for a reason. He's played outstanding in this tournament. Uh, but I don't know. I think I think North Carolina would have a genuinely really good chance to win again. I think they've been possibly outplaying Duke. But at the same time, like I said, I think Duke had the toughest path 
at the end of the day out of anyone that has made the final four uh, so i don't know if that's also the best indicator but i think it would be a very good game one way or another and like ryan said it might be scripted so i don't think they'll let it be a bad one i i <laughs> i admire your confidence because i think north carolina is going to lose and i don't know if it's going to be that close i think the angle of i mean geez we're going to hear so much crap about Coach K's last home game and how North Carolina spoiled it. Like, as if to say they were supposed to lose and that they're the bad guys for not losing. We're going to hear that all week. And I, I I, don't see that happening again. I don't see Duke losing North Carolina again. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I would love, love, love for uh, Coach K's career to end sooner rather than later. Uh, but North Carolina's going to score. Duke's going to score too. It should be a very entertaining game. Ultimately, I think that the Blue Devils are going to win, uh, which, you know, I guess... We'll, we'll officially make picks for that. But let me ask you this. Who do you think has a better chance of, uh, or who should Kansas rather play in, should they reach the national championship? Uh, I think Kansas should rather play North Carolina. And nothing like this has ever been said on ITP that has come back to bite us. Uh, I think, that, But I do think they should rather play North Carolina. It's a better matchup. Uh, North Carolina is athletic, but they do not have the athleticism that Duke has. Uh, I think Kansas would match up uh, much better with the Tar Heels. Nick, you agree? Um, yeah, Brady Manek thing, though. Um, and Armando Bacot would give Dave a lot of trouble. And Caleb Love's it, a monster. You're looking at a tough national championship regardless. Uh, I just, I would personally rather not lose to Coach K and watch him beat Kansas for a trophy. Uh, but the flip, the spin zone, you say, I would rather see Kansas in Coach K's career. Um, so kind of wishy-washy there. North Carolina has had a different leading scorer in all four games of this tournament, which is crazy. Bacot has at least 15 rebounds in each of his last three games. Uh, and this is a team that's gone from uh, 12 and 6 to 28 and 9. So they're 16 and 3 in their last 19 games. They are, they're hot at the right time. And it's going to be a great uh, atmosphere. And like I said, we know this can be talked about. I mean, I. I can't even imagine how many how we, we should count the number of times that Jim Nance says and coming up next here's coach K walking into the arena with his rat wife here they come wow getting off the bus again like they're gonna if you take a shot every time they mention that Duke UNC is next you'll be dead by halftime but it's gonna be entertaining I hope you guys are right that North Carolina keeps it really close uh, I would be surprised I would be surprised that they are in the game with a minute left has a chance to win but I hope you're right uh, that's it. There are only three other games. Like, uh, I guess we can quickly go ahead and move on to Ask Rock Chalk Blog. That'll be, let's, let's switch it up. Ask RCB Final Four Show. That should be interesting. Let's see what the questions are. I have not looked. Landon, have you looked? Are they good? Uh, I've looked at a couple. They seem go all right. It. I'm still getting it up, so. Uh, all right, starting, uh, <laughs> starting with at Dick underscore Taser. Big question for you, Nick. On which body part are you planning to get your Mitch Lightfoot tattoo? Which I believe is also spelled out as a haiku because he put a bunch of Japanese flag emojis there, so that is definitely <laughs> supposed to be a haiku. You're on one of my favorites. supposed to do that if are they you win the title. To get your Mitch Lightfoot tattoo. Yeah, it checks out. We had to do that if they win the title. What was the stipulations on that? Uh, if Mitch Lightfoot scores twenty plus in the NCAA title game, are we getting a Mitch, Light, a Mitch Lightfoot tattoo? He's never scored yes. more than fifteen, so yes, if he scores twenty, <laughs> they gotta win though. If they score 20 and win, um, I would consider, if you pay for it, Dick underscore Taser, 
I would consider getting a small 44 tattooed on my body somewhere. <laughs> That's my true. choice, but... You know what? Uh, Dick Taser, you just get to enjoy it. I'll, I'll pay for it if that happens. Landon, it's on me. The 4-4 okay. tattoo. We'll, we'll do it. Um, at Joel Libera, I understand that this is a different team and players, but with the recent history with Villanova, my question is, what can Kansas do differently to beat Villanova? Take shots? <laughs> that... Um, also, I think the biggest thing is this Villanova team, like Ryan said, and I mean, cue the music, um, this Villanova team does not seemingly have the ability to go and hit 17 threes. They don't have five NBA players. Um, not that they can't win. They definitely can beat Kansas. Uh, they absolutely can. Jay Wright's an excellent coach. This is still a talented, if not very shallow team, um, but I, I do think the matchup is just inherently better for Kansas. I do think Kansas, the one thing they could do, uh, like Nick said, is is not only make shots, but just try to take them. Yeah, that's the key. They This is going to be a lower scoring game than the 18 Final Four game. It's going to look a lot like the 16 Elite Eight game, I think. Uh, because Jay Wright is, a, is an awesome coach, and he's going to have a, a week to prepare for Kansas. They probably started preparing for Kansas before Kansas even tipped off because everybody knew that the Jayhawks were probably going to be that opponent. Well, here's what they need to do differently. The 16 game was completely even. I think if Devontae Graham gets a more fair whistle, who knows what happens there. Uh, but yeah, they need to make shots against a good defense. They need to make their fair share of threes. If they have an average three-point shooting night, I think they win by a handful of points. I think the only way that that goes wrong is if Kansas doesn't shoot well and or if Villanova does shoot well, which is basketball, I guess, in a nutshell. But if Kansas plays its game, I think they're going to win. Partially because I think they're better than Villanova and partially because Villanova's a wounded animal right now. Uh, the matchup is terrifying. Also kind of reminds me potentially, I'm not necessarily predicting this, but in 2017 when Kansas drew Michigan State in the second round as a nine seed, we were all terrified. And they ended up disposing quickly and efficiently of Michigan State because they were better. And Michigan State was just that. It was the name scaring us more than the team. That may be what's going on here. Different Final Four teams versus round of 32, I guess. But, I mean, I, I think Kansas is better. They're a four-point favorite. That's a lot for a Final Four game. Also, I was looking back at the 18 game the other day. Um, Kansas didn't play bad. They didn't play bad. They didn't defend poorly. Like, and they, they weren't great, obviously, but they didn't defend so poorly you'd watch that and think, oh my gosh, they got, that was the worst defense I've ever seen. And they scored 79 points. They had no shot. And they, they cut that game a couple times, too, within reach, and Villanova just wouldn't stop making baskets. Yeah, they got it to 11, and they got it to 13. Uh, that was the closest they got in both halves. And yeah, they, they really, they didn't play poorly in that game. It just felt like, I mean, talk about an impossible situation. At AJ Stevenson, was it right for Christian Brown to call out Bill Self on Twitter for this team supposedly not being as athletic enough? We kind of talked about that earlier. I just want to know why it's been so different. But yeah, they live on that stuff, and Self likes it. Self would never admit it, but Self loves that because that's why he said it, to fire him up. That's why he screamed that Dewan Harris is a word I can't say on the show for not scoring. Not because he's a mean guy, but because he knows how to get the most out of his players. That is exactly what Bill Self was trying to do in saying, we're not athletic, is, oh, okay. And Christian Brown's the sort of guy that gets PO'd and goes out and shows it. Bill Self loves every second of it. Am I wrong? Oh, he seems mm -hmm. to. He seems to be that guy. All right, Landon, you take it over for a minute. Uh, from at Keganator, uh, underscore 11. Uh, who will be the most famous celebrity in the crowd? 
Will we also see a Roy Williams appearance? I'd have to say yes on the Roy oh, Williams. Oh, for I mean, sure. North Carolina that. and Kansas in the final they'll four. Sh- he's they'll, show that, they'll show that Asian guy with the Duke. Is it Kyung Jong or something? <laughs> Ken Jong? Is that his name? Ken, Ken Jong. Yeah, the actor. Okay. Sorry, I didn't the mean actor to be doctor. I don't. I didn't actually know his name. No, they'll be Seth, Seth Curry will be there in his stupid Duke Obama hat. will probably be there. Oh uh, Devontae Graham will probably be there since it's in New Orleans. Oh, yeah, he, but, yeah, he, no, he plays there. Yeah, but Nick, you, Orlando, you won't there. see that. You will just see all the Duke celebrities. That's true. I bet Coach That's K's wife will, will get I a picture of her during the game. Yeah, I was going to say, Coach <laughs> K's wife will be there sitting in the crowd looking all nervous. Some like, oh NFL quarterback will be there. Daniel Jones will be there. Oh gosh! Well, that'll—that's exactly what Duke needs to get the offense going on their side. <laughs> yes, they'll show Coach K's stupid grandkids fifty times like their presence has any impact whatsoever on the team making baskets. And I hope to hell that I get to see his little grandkids cry. Mark it down in words. I want to see Coach K's grandkids cry wet liquid tears as their granddad gets his ass kicked for the last time on the biggest stage in college basketball. And I will laugh at those kids for weeks because screw them and screw the K's. Would that be the greatest moment in Kansas, just your sports fandom history? Like, forget about the Royals in 15. Yeah, forget about the Royals in 15. Forget about the Chiefs in 20. If Kansas beats Duke... And Coach K's career ends uh, because of it. I that's the the greatest probably sports moment of my life. If Christian Brown makes a big basket and screams right in the face of those dumb Krzyzewski rat grandchildren, yes, that would be the best moment of my or life. Or the the cam the the white Cameron white Cameron crazies, oh the, <laughs> the smart rich kids. Yeah, I need I need Christian Brown to give the Krzyzewski family the business, and then that would you know he would get a nice like he'd be holding the trophy, and Kay would come up and give him a lecture in the uh, in the huddle afterwards. <laughs> and I wish you would just push him down. Yep. Yes, K, but, K would be lecturing them on how to celebrate cutting down the nets. Yes. Uh, as they do it. Yep. Well, telling the crowd uh, to shut up. Yep. Um, uh, at Josh Wilson eighty, does Bill Self bring back the suit for the Final Four? We've been talking please, about yes. this. I think that I think he will. They I think. Yeah, I think you're gonna please, see. I don't back. think they will. They didn't last year. Obviously, that was different circumstances. But I don't think they will. Personally, I guess I don't really know why they would. But like I don't know, yeah. It would I be could, cool. It looks so good. I, it's, it's such like, a classic. It's more look. formal. Yeah. Um, he at, won't, but I agree. I want him to. At Eric James seven seven eight says, "Where do I find the podcast?" Well, you look up on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever website you use for your favorite podcast. Inside the paint, and you will, if you're listening to this, then you'll have likely found it because Nick creates little links that make that very easy that I tweet out every show. Uh, from at Rob RB twenty three, Nick one for you. Uh, hindsight being what it is, did Bill do a good job with Remy? He worked him in slowly while he learned the offense, showed him D mattered defense, uh, managed his injury, and he's now playing the best basketball of his career. Um, I am not convinced. Probably uh, less worried about that than I was probably two weeks ago. Uh, but I still think that he he probably should have changed, uh, handled his minutes differently earlier on. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. Think of this as there's two different routes to get to the same destination. And one route is a little bit faster slash makes a little bit more sense than the other. But you choose to take the one that takes a little longer that as a result makes less sense. And as you're on that less efficient route by a little bit, there's a big car crash on the more efficient route. That So therefore... A pile up, you would have had to get detoured. 
So you would have gotten there slower had you taken that path. And you can look at it and say, well, it worked out. I took the path that got me here the fastest, but it may not have been the most efficient way to do so. I'm happy that it worked. I'm happy that they got from A to B and avoided the car crash and got there as fast as they could have. But I kind of think that Remy Martin should have been playing. I mean, it doesn't change everything we've said all year. We think that Remy Martin at the beginning of the year was being asked to do things that don't fit his skill set the best. He's playing great now, and it's hard to be unhappy with it, and we will take it. And we are happy to see Bill and Remy clicking that embrace in the locker room that they had and the video K Hoops posted. All that was awesome. Made my year. But yeah, this should have been. Remy has had this in him the whole year. I get that he was hurt, but the fact that he wasn't doing this it's not that he suddenly learned how to do it with self-confidence. This should have been the Remy we saw in November and December. We saw it against Emporia State in the exhibition game, and self was given in the business. Yeah, we saw it in the early part of the year. Uh, and again, I'm not on the train of, well, Remy's D was so apocalyptically bad. No, it wasn't great, but it wasn't it wasn't bad enough to not play. Um, also, does anyone notice that the defense has gotten at to its best? It's been all year with Remy playing. Yeah. Yeah, it has. It's, been it's almost really, like really he good. wasn't. They made it sound like it's like putting freaking me out there and asking me to play defense. That's how bad Remy was. Jeez, he was fine. He wasn't great. He wasn't Marcus Garrett on defense. Uh, but it was never so bad that it wasn't worth playing him. Uh, another one here from at RC Spirit Ku. Why aren't people paying more attention to the Kansas Villanova rivalry? The only rivalry I can think of that in the tournament has decided the eventual national champion in, well, it's been two meetings, but uh, would be potentially no, three. No, it's been three. It has was been 08. Th- has been three? It was 08. Kansas beat Villanova in the oh, Sweet that, 16. Oh, that is true. That is technically true. Not as late in the tournament as... Yeah, uh, it didn't determine time, who yes, won it, but whoever won it went on to win it. Yeah, it's a great rivalry. Like, and it's a very even rivalry. I wonder the... why, though, guys. I wonder if there's another rivalry that the media likes a lot more on the other side of the bracket. I, there's... I, I can only imagine. <laughs> That's fair for one, but see, here's the thing. KU I'm not saying your question is dumb, RC Spirit KU. I'm saying the media is dumb. Yeah, and I'll say that KU fans are dumb with this one, like they're with this opinion also, they have. Yeah, a little well, bit. Well, I was gonna say that uh, all the fans that bitch and whine and moan about how their their K State and Missouri can't be rivals because they're even. Okay, well then, if you're gonna have that wrong opinion, then you better acknowledge that Villanova is a freaking rival then, because. It's about as even as it gets, and they play in the biggest stakes. Yeah, that's pretty true, I think. I think you're right. I think that, that the question asker's right, and I think that you're right, Landon. I think that this absolutely should be recognized as more of a rivalry. It's not getting, like, the fact that it's it has done just that. It's The winner has gone on to win the whole thing the last three times they played in the tournament, and quite possibly a fourth. Like, the fact that that won't get said at all on ESPN is solely because they cannot get their head out of the ass of Mike Krzyzewski for five seconds to get out and look around and see, oh, there's another game going on. Uh, from Sorry for that Casey image. Sports uh, Kingdom 1, is the pressure off now that they've made the Final Four and Duke is the favorite? Well, Duke is not actually the favorite. Uh, uh, maybe maybe they are the most talked about team, but they're not the yeah, favorite. Yeah, I think I, they're the favorite. They're the favorite on the betting websites, and they're the favorite to the media. They're the they're the they're the favorite. Maybe not to the statistic nerds like Jesse Newell. <laughs> if they get to the if they get to the finals, Kansas will not have the most pressure because the pressure on Duke. Yeah, holy that is moly! One hundred percent true. But, I don't know the pressure on Bill Self to get another one is is pretty high. Bill Self told but it won't be as high as K winning the, the game in his last season. That's right, fair. which granted hasn't 
gotten due to Duke just yet. Uh, Self said to his team in the locker room after they had gotten done celebrating and hopping around that all the pressure is, is gone because the pressure was getting to the Final Four. Now they can just go play. And he says that most years they get to the Final Four. And KU historically has played well in the Final Four under Self. They're 2-1. and one. The one loss was big, but they didn't play poorly. It's not like it's an Elite Eight game where they shot 3-for-30 on threes or anything. And they played fine in the two national championships. They're 1-1. One and one. And the Kentucky game, they did just about as well as all things considered. We could have hoped that they would have. So they've played fine and not tight once they got to this point in the tournament in the past. Let's hope we can see it again. At R. Klotz, has KU finally discovered that the secret to turning on the intensely aggressive play that they have been using in the second half? We've seen that version of the team before, but not consistently. Yeah, that was, they, they clearly had a, Miami looked tired and stunned, and Kansas was, screw it, we're playing fast. Yeah, no, it was really nice to see the, the intensity get turned up in the second half. Uh, I don't know if that's something that Bill has just now figured out, but it does feel like that's something they have not done uh, a whole lot in NCAA tournament games. At, Elliot, games. at Elliot Russin H1, do we really have any chance of beating Villanova as a two seed at no. the next dimension? How much do you think Justin Moore's injury helps our chances of winning? Uh, we're going to talk about that in the uh, in the preview here in a couple minutes. And then there's at Jack and 971-96757. Is Colin Gillespie the ultimate white guy? The fact that he plays for Villanova makes it seem like he's pretty safely the most challenging white guy that they'll play all year. Yeah, he's the final boss. You've been playing for four and a half months the, the video game that is titled after the infamous drop. You've been listening to that music all year, and here comes Colin Gillespie, the final boss, ready to go. If you get past him, maybe just maybe the curse is dead, but yes. Unless it's he, Brady Manic. He's all, oh no, I didn't even think about that being a possibility. Yeah, for now he is, but if the, they slay Colin Gillespie, there may be another boss rising from the ashes like, oh yeah, now you gotta take me down. And Colin Gillespie gets bonus points because he's actually done this to Kansas in the final four before. That is true. Any others? It looks good to me. I mean, did you... We do have at Jerry Bosey who just wants us to play the, uh, I don't know if it's a shot at us or not, but Damn it, Bill. is all it says. Yeah, we said that a lot. And, eh. uh, at Chocolate Shake said, Landon, please don't ever pick KU to win again. 9-0 since Landon stopped picking Kansas. That's awesome. And then there's at Texas Tech, Sean. That's <laughs> I don't know if he meant this as an insult, but it is really funny. I laughed. He says that we should have to eat poop directly from Bill's steaming hot ass. Now that this team is going to hang a banner for a Final Four. I mean, it's it's funny in all ways, but um, maybe that's why the ass. drop was put on the board. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough, Sean. Uh, if you ever have Ask RCBs, let's go. Use the Twitter hashtag. Yeah. Oh my God! I thought I was done having to preview this stupid matchup this late in the tournament. Kansas will play a number two seed in the Final Four. Does anyone here know? I do. Here we go. Here comes the two seed. Villanova's the two seed. That's big for Kansas. I love that matchup. Not many people hear the rest of this drop, so I'm gonna let it finish. I could not have picked a better draw for Kansas. Could not have handpicked one. I would have said Villanova as the two. Oh. I definitely think that they have a great window. I think that they were given the weakest two seed. Oh. Oh. Favorite Villanova as a two seed. You got it. 
I think that if you're looking to pick a two seed, you're obviously none of the number five, six, seven, or eight overall teams are, are necessarily preferable. But I think Villanova is the best possible game for Kansas. Oh my dumbass, god! Dumbass! Dumbass! <laughs> it gets progressively worse. It does. I said you would handpick the freaking Wildcats for it. And here we go with two seed Villanova versus number one Kansas. Hey, they're going to play a game in April. First time since the national title game in 2012 that Kansas will be playing in April. It is the first game because it wouldn't have mattered. Michael Jordan could come back and play for Kansas in this game, and they'd still be playing in the first game at 5.09 p.m. Not on CBS. It's on TBS. Great. Good job, guys. Why is Wait it up. at 5.09? It's, it's the nine minutes uh, after five used for the Coach K walk into the arena. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna put him on a throne, and they're going to carry him in, and the, he's going to wave to his stupid He's going to make his wife carry his luggage into the arena. Yep, yeah. The nine yep. minutes is so we can get the nine-minute uh, repeat video of him walking into the building with his wife holding hands yep yeah that's that's why the entire walk-in going to the locker room walking around the locker room grabbing a, a cup of water using the restroom in a powerade cup because they are the official sponsor of the ncaa basketball tournament villanova. I bet all that money's from the revenues going to the players isn't it here we go here comes the two seed it's villanova they enter the final four at 30 and 7 overall they finished second in the Big East, but they won the league tournament. We all knew that they were the scariest Big East team, and Kansas got past Providence, and now here we go, and have defeated Delaware, Ohio State, Michigan, and Houston thus far in the NCAA tournament. By the way, Kansas, this is their third game in five tournament battles against a Big East team. Hello. Leading the Wildcats is super senior point guard. You all know him. You all know him. Colin Gillespie who averages 16 points and three assists while shooting 41% from three and 91% at the line. He's been wow. at school so long that he made a three-point basket in the 2018 Final Four game, uh, one of the <laughs> 300 that were made. Uh, Nick wing changed depth. it to, to 91% three-point shooter, <laughs> which, yep. Kansas. Yep. Uh, wing depth is a huge, uh, huge question with Justin Moore's season-ending injury. At 6'4", Caleb Daniels will move into the starting lineup with his 10 points and 38% shooting mark. Uh, there is another Archidiacono, by the way, that is now on, on this team. On it! He shoots just 27% from three, but I would argue that makes him more likely to go five of six. Yeah, he's uh, the guy. I might be wrong about that, but it feels like that will be the case. Uh, also, Brian Antoine is maybe playable? Even though the injuries and everything, he's he's not been playing much, but he is in the rotation. Tiny I bit. don't know who else they would play at this point. I don't. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, this is a very Nick, uh, sad, sad loss. Anytime, buddy. Sorry, I, you frightened me with the the Archidiacono <laughs> talk. Yeah. Um, uh, What's, fr what's frightening for Villanova, not to, it's kind of a sad transition, uh, like the drop Ryan just played. Justin Moore's season-ending injury uh, means 6'4 nope, nope. Caleb Daniels nope. will move nope. into the starting lineup. Nope, wrong. As, uh, yeah. no, not the one. <laughs> you didn't read that? You skipped over to Archie Diacono. Never no, mind. The front no, course I has... absolutely read that. He, which which kind of takes the Archie Diacono excuse off your table because... You, you read about the Final Four game and then read about... Hey, there's another Archidiacono. You didn't nope, you skip the nope, Caleb Daniels I, part. I, I no, didn't. he did. He definitely did. The, the I front court. That part. 
has Eric Dixon. I don't know if he's related to Jamie Dixon. Brandon Slater, Jermaine Samuels. Remember that guy, too. Uh, who all <laughs> average between 8 and 11 points. They're either 6-7 or 6-8. Dixon plays the center, but Samuel is the leading rebounder with 7 boards per contest. They are all threats to take shots from anywhere on the floor, which Ryan says, staple of the J. Wright offense. They scored 50 points in the last game. I'm not too worried about I that. I mean, have you not watched this team play your favorite team in the past? The J. Wright offense is centered around guys like Jeremiah yeah. Robinson Earl, who can shoot threes. Every big can shoot for them. That Every team, g- those teams could score. This team can't score. This team Every relies on playing guard. high school, no-shot clock basketball. That's what this <laughs> team does. Here is my after. It, usually, when I write this little blurb, I look at the Ken Palm Analytics, the College Basketball Reference, and I try to come up with some sort of synopsis about how the how this team actually is. I feel like I know more about Villanova than most teams that will preview, just because we see them a lot. They are fantastic on the defensive end, and offensively, they're not bad, but they are slow paced. They may be the most well-coached team in the country with the following metrics all proving that. They turn the ball over fewer than 10 times per game, which is not just nuts, but it's also top 10 nationally. They foul just 15 times total per night, which is top 50 nationally. And while they don't get to the free throw line a lot, they are the best free throw shooting team in the country, one of the best in the last 10 years at 83% as a team. Actually, that will go up with uh, the injury to Moore. He was, quote, only 77%. Villanova averages almost as many three-point shots as two-point shots. I know, before you hurl yourself off a bridge, let me continue here. Uh, They shoot a very good 36% from three. Okay, now you can throw yourself off the bridge, which is a top 70 mark nationally. Their weaknesses, they are a below-average rebounding team, and it's going to get worse without more. That ball sticks a lot. They really don't move it well. They don't pass it a ton. They don't have a lot of assist numbers. And overall, they shoot just 43% as a team, which is outside the top 200. Good three-point shooting team, okay two-point shooting team, but their pace is so slow, the scoring's down. In all nine matchups uh, that Kansas and Villanova have had in their history, Kansas is 4-5 and five in those games. Bill Self is 3-5 and five against Jay Wright, 2-0 and oh at Allen Fieldhouse, 1-5 in all other Ooh. venues they have met three times in the NCAA tournament, 2008, 2016, and 2018. All three of those have been those two teams' most recent national titles. Uh, and the winner of those matchups obviously went on to win the national title. I think that's uh, a typo, actually, Landon. They only have met once in the NCAA tournament. It was only 2008. I don't remember the other games. I definitely don't remember 2018. I remember something about Perry Ellis not playing very well in 2016, but that definitely wasn't against Villanova. No. Remember when Devontae Graham dove for that loose ball they called a foul on it? I think that was the last game they, met, they played each other. That's one of the five. If you ask me right now to rank the five worst ref moments in the uh, Kansas, like Bill Self tenure, that's one of them. That was an awful call. You can't call that with 30 seconds left. Guy diving for the ball. It's not a trip. Get out of here. All right, let's talk about this one. So we've kind of talked about all the Villanova analysis we need to. We talked about how they've been this year, how they're going to be different in this game. Landon, I I know who you have to pick per contractual obligation, so let's go ahead and lead off with you. Tell me how you think that this game goes as Kansas and Villanova prepare to play another deep NCAA tournament game. Well, Villanova does struggle to score. I mean, sometimes at least. They they prefer to play slow, uh, and I think that's going to continue because I think they know that if they can do that, and they, they are a team that I think could actually run Kansas slow, um, and, and potentially play well that way. I think they're going to definitely try uh, to drag this into another Houston 50-44 to kind of game. 
Um, I, I think they're going to have a decent chance if they can get it that low. Uh, that being said, they are undersized compared to Kansas. Like, you know, their tallest player that they play is like 6'8", um, which, so Kansas is definitely going to have the size advantage there. Uh, Villanova's inability to score is going to be tough. This is a little bit Texas techy uh, without the depth, especially with more out. Um, it's really hard to underrate Colin Gillespie. Or take him for granted, I should say, because, I mean, you know you know what's coming. You know what's going to happen with Colin Gillespie in this game, probably. Jay Wright's an excellent coach. Uh, obviously, this is a huge game. Second time I've ever previewed a Kansas-Villanova game here on ITP in the Final Four. Uh, it was fun uh, previewing it the first time. It was not a fun game. Uh, I think this one is going to be pretty fun. It's going to be interesting. Uh, great coaching matchup. I definitely think Bill Self's going to come out with a much better game plan than he did against uh, Villanova the first time around in the Final Four. Uh, but uh, none of that matters because Villanova's going to win uh, a good game 52-50. Uh, <laughs> yuck. All right, I'll go next because I know what I want to do and I want Nick to split the difference here. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the lower scoring this game is, the better for Villanova. But Kansas has a big bullet to fire in defense there. They are 25-0 and this year whenever they hold their opponent to less than 73 points. And whenever you start thinking about that, that is really going to be difficult for Villanova to end that trend because that's what Villanova wants to do, yet Kansas is healthier and so much better while playing that game. I also think that Kansas is going to be very hard to keep down like Houston was. I expect Kansas to pull ahead a little bit in the first half, and I'm not sure while Villanova, I'm sure they will, they will continue to... Uh, keep it close, but I don't know if they'll ever hit enough shots to take it over the top. I expect them to play well, as we talked about earlier in the show, but ultimately I think Kansas has too much firepower to not go on one of their 10-0 runs to, to eventually do them in. I think Kansas wins hesitantly because of this matchup. I'm going to say Kansas 70, Villanova 63. I'm expecting a competitive, entertaining game that ultimately Ochai Abaji and Jalen Wilson make just enough plays down the stretch to help Kansas move on to Monday night. Yeah, I think the road ends here um, for Villanova. Um, I think that Kansas just has the better offensive team. And um, uh, contrary to what Twitter will tell you, um, offense wins championships, offense wins final four games, offense won Villanova its final four game against Kansas in 2018, um, and that's going to be the same result in this game. I think that without Justin Moore, uh, they're going to rely a lot on their small rotation to step up and make shots. Trajectory, I just don't see them making a ton of them. Um, give me Kansas 65, Villanova 60, and an edge, edge out game um, before a potential matchup with Duke in the national championship. So is that who you're picking in the other game, North Carolina Duke? Yes. Landon? Uh, I am a little bit torn, but I do think Coach K gets revenge for what happened in Durham, and I think Duke moves on to Monday. Yep. I think we're looking at Kansas and Duke in the finals where the the, the only time ever where the entire world will be rooting like hell for the Kansas Jayhawks, which will be funny. Except but, ESPN. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Except for Dick Vitale. Uh Let's go. That's all of us. They're in the final four, and we will be back. What will this be? This would have to be a Sunday show if they win. If they lose, we'll probably take a little bit more time. I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it. But let, let's go. They owe Jay Wright one. They owe him one so bad. They owe they us do. one. They owe us one for talking about them if, this much. If Villanova wins, do we just become Villanova fans? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Let's do it. 
I'll put up the V at that point. Let's, 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 if you can't beat him, join him. This is Inside the Paint on Rock Chuck Vlog. I am Ryan Landreth. Uh, my next chapter with a Villanova logo um, <laughs> photoshopped over my chest. I'm Landon Fields. Villanova just hit a three. I think oh. I'm Nick Wiper, and I can't remember. Yep, we're going to be saying that. All right, guys, big one, final four. Uh, who is going to play the other game, not Duke, North Carolina? Uh, they probably, no one knows who that other matchup is going to be, but we do. Come on, Bill. Come on, Bill. You don't have to send that man a Father's Day card this year if you beat him. Damn it, Bill. Get it done. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.